Howdy Riffers, this is David Sanchez and this is episode 57 of the Riffs or Die podcast for December 9th, 2021. I hope this message finds you well. As always, if you want to support the podcast beyond just listening, you can go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch. You can also go to patreon.com slash riffsordie and subscribe as a patron. Don't forget, if you want to send in any questions or comments for the show, you can always send them to podcast at riffsordie.com. So in this episode, I am going to give you guys a replay of an interview that I did last week with these guys called the Metal Round Table. Next week, I'll have plenty of crazy shit to talk about. There's a lot going on in the world, but I figured we'd keep this one a little lighthearted and save that other stuff for later. So let's take a breather here, relax, and enjoy this interview with the Metal Round Table. Oh, and just a warning right off the bat, my laptop speakers were too loud when I first joined the interview, so you're going to hear some nasty feedback uh, and like kind of echo from the other people on the beginning of this interview, but they sent me a message and told me to lower my volume, so I did that, and it gets much better, so don't freak out, don't worry. It's not going to be like that for the whole thing. So just bear with me, bear with us, and you will hear it cleaned up in its full glory after just a couple minutes in the intro here. All right. So here we go. Little swap cast with the metal round table, video included. Let's go. We have a special guest today. Well, Monkey Butt's kind of a special guest. Um, but we got a special guest today, and that was part of the reason why I gave CD Warehouse in Arlington, Texas, a shout out because they are the one of the few places that actually sell havoc records we have dave sanchez from havoc there he is whoa david yeah here we are you're part of the metal round table now thanks for having me on yeah Uh, i think the last time i saw you was uh black dahlia murder tour at the gas bar and grill and it was cold. It was thirty degrees and raining. Yeah, not not, a, and it was outdoors. So, yes. and and despite the fact that you're from Colorado, that's still pretty cold, isn't it? Well, yeah, it sucks when you play outside and it's that cold because even if your hands are warm, your strings are made of metal and they're cold. So, anytime <laughs> you move on the fretboard, your fingertips are freezing. Yep. Well, I remember Pete still had his shirt off playing drums back there. That was maniac. <laughs> Yeah, he, he is a maniac. So, talk to us. Uh, we just we're like a bunch of guys sitting around the table at the burrito shop uh, talking about music, and uh, we wanted to give you a, a forum to just do whatever you talk about, whatever you want. Well, you don't want me to talk about whatever I want, but I, I would well, like oh. to say right off the bat that uh, Monkey Butt is quite a quite an amazing name. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a long story behind it, and, I, and he will have to tell you that at a later date, so we don't take up too much time. But anyway, do you have a nickname? I mean, they call me the Carcass. They call Rob Metal Rob Scott Raging Waters. Do you have a nickname that we should now be known? You should now be known. Um, I don't really have a nickname. A lot of people call me Davy Havoc, which is uh, the singer of the band AFI. Oh no. Oh, no. But uh, I, I I don't think I'm easily confused with him. It's just a name thing. Yeah, I gotcha. So I was uh, doing a little investigating, and are you guys uh, put out 
uh, your fifth record, your fifth, fifth full length, and then weren't able to tour on it. And so all this time that you've been kind of, and I'm not going to say you've been sitting around the house doing nothing because I know that you've been doing other things. But um, so what's been going on in this downtime where you're not able to tour? Uh, thinking about touring, wishing I could go out and play. But I think a lot of musicians are in that same boat right now. Uh, something, something weird happened that canceled a lot of touring. Uh, yeah. we, we, we had the option of delaying the release of our record uh, until you know we could go out on tour with it, but it was a giant question mark. And it was either put out the record on the day where we were planning, or put it out later, and it's a giant question mark, and we don't know when it's ever going to see the light of day. So we just moved forward with the original release date, and that day we were supposed to be starting a tour with Hatebreed. And then, you know, obviously that got canceled along with everybody else's tours. So we're just kind of on standby waiting for things to get more normal. And then we can go and, uh, you know, do some things. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you put it out because as I, everyone, I mean, I was, fortunately I was an essential worker, so I still remained employed and outside the house doing things because I work outside but uh, it gave me a chance to re reinvestigate since I couldn't go to a show. I couldn't go to a store. I couldn't do these. It, it gave me a chance to investigate and listen to records and reacquaint myself with records that uh, I hadn't listened to in a while. And especially that one. And I was struck by that one just because it, it's a little bit of a departure from the previous record. Uh, but the riffs are still there, man. You, you, you write great music and great riffs and, so explain, uh, t talk about the transition from uh, the previous records to that one in particular. Well, uh, first off, thanks for the kind words. Um, it's all about the riffs. If we don't have like cool riffs, we don't have a song. It's just fucking around at that point. Yeah. And we don't like to fuck around. Um, no, Afterburner, you sure don't. <laughs> we, we do like to fuck around, but not when it comes to the music. So. Right, right. Uh, we try to drop the hammer when it comes to, to that stuff. But I think the biggest difference between V and the previous records is we made it a more conscious effort to have the two guitars being two guitars um, and kind of having the band play different parts on all the stringed instruments to make it more like an orchestra would play something. You know, you've got all these three different intertwining melodic lines uh, mixing together and, and doing their own thing independently, but all working together harmoniously. That was uh, a big focus on this recording. And, you know, I think performance wise and, and like execution of everything, I think this is the best we've ever done on a recording. I think that uh, everybody was on their A game and everybody slammed their parts out of the park. I, I, well, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I was shocked about how much I, you know, usually some things take a little, a few listings to sort of understand it and get it. But right out of the gates, that thing just was a crusher. And I thought, uh, man, they've, they've struck a nerve. It, 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 I don't know what, if it, if it was the production and you do most, you do all the production, right? You do all the recording and production. On the first three records and the Point of No Return EP, I did the production, but Conformicide and V, we went into a studio and worked with I a gotcha. producer to engineer them. 
well you yeah. still have to play it and and it still sounds great so uh so what are you what are your plans for the future are you, i mean it seems like you know you've had a two year pretty much a two year layoff right because i think i saw you in 2019 that sounds about right i think it was yeah. december of 2019 so right. creeping up on two years exactly so um any thought to maybe throw out some new stuff uh we've talked about it um i think in a few months it'll be about time to start writing some new stuff or maybe learning some other people's music and and figuring out how to twist those into havoc gear you know sure that's something we've discussed maybe doing some covers but also i'd like to start writing some stuff in a few months i've got a question dave um thank you for coming on the show by the way we're stoked to have you yeah, my pleasure. Whenever COVID happened and everything got shut down and the tours all stopped and all that, I found that a great time to go and research bands and buy some merch online and, you know, discover some records that way. What happened with you guys on that front? Did people discover you by sitting at home or did you find that it really hurt? Uh, because like I said, I ordered so much shit when I was at home. So, and I'm just curious from the band side, what happens to you guys on that? Well, touring is our bread and butter. That's where we make all of our money. So, um, our bank accounts dried up quickly from not being able to go out on the road. But, uh, and I don't know if this is because, uh, we just put out a new record or if this is because of what you're talking about, where people have time to check out records and listen to new bands but our like for spotify for instance our monthly listeners on there nearly doubled and and have pretty much stayed there since v came out so i don't know if that's a matter of people being able to stay home and check out new bands or if that's just because the album was was well done and well received and people were sharing it with their friends and showing it to other people uh, that's, sure. that's very interesting. So I'm sure you're making a ton from that thing, right? What's I'm that? Sure you're making a ton from that, right? All the all the hits on. Oh yeah, yeah. The the zero point zero zero six cents on every. Exactly. Listen. That's but I can't say on that before before Rob continues. I can't say on that front. When I was working at an office, they would uh, often play that digital crap. and they would play like Testament Radio or Exodus Radio, and Havoc was always in the mix. So that, I'm sure that's how a lot of people were discovering you because you could just pull up Testament Radio and Havoc has ended up being played on there. I like that. that yeah. They're yeah, that, on an Exodus and Testament list. That's yeah. very cool. So this kind of piggybacks on what we were talking about and you guys were talking about making your bread and butter on tour and then the streaming is you know just minuscule. But one of the things that we've talked about on the show so many times uh, when we've had bands on especially is – for people to hit the merch booth, explain to everybody why, yes, they've bought a ticket. Yes, they came to the concert and they had 48 beers. But explain to them why a T-shirt and a CD is so important to you guys. Well, A, we bought that stuff. We bought the product and we want to get rid of them. Otherwise, it just costs us more money to go on tour. But touring is not cheap. Uh, gas is very expensive. Hotels are expensive. And, uh, you know, when you're driving 350 miles a day, 
and you have to stay in a hotel, possibly get two hotel rooms, that adds up really fast over 30 dates. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of like, if you're renting a vehicle, if you're renting a trailer, if you're paying a crew, we have a, we normally run with like what we call a skeleton crew, just like bare minimum. Uh, We we're not loaded. We don't have the, the funds to afford all kinds of people to bring out with us, but we normally travel with a merch seller, a uh, sound guy. And that's what we would consider a skeleton crew on some of these tours where we rented a vehicle that had bunks in it for us to sleep. We hired a driver and the driver would sleep in the daytime and drive us while we're sleeping, which was uh, a, a huge, a huge deal for us to be able to like show up and we're, uh, waking up in the next city. We don't have to drive. That was a big deal. But, um, you know, that stuff all adds up and is very expensive. So when people buy a ticket and come to the show, that's all great. But often what we make from the show is just a guaranteed number. And often we, you know, we don't get paid more than whatever that guarantee was. But if people come to our merch table and buy merchandise, not only are they promoting us by wearing t-shirts or having a patch on their jacket or whatever, but it really helps the bands um, stay on the road and be able to put a a few dollars in their pocket when they get home from the tour. Merch sales is kind of the number one way that you can help support a band because uh, the, (laughs) the guarantees often are only covering part of your expenses, especially like you know, a handful of years ago before we were making decent money. We don't make amazing money still, but um, you know, when we were first getting on national tours with big international touring bands, we were getting paid like $200 a day. You know, that barely covered the, the gasoline to get to the show. So when people would buy t-shirts that actually allowed us to put a few dollars in your pocket when we got home. Buy a hamburger and a pair of jeans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah uh, that we ripped. Like I heard you say early on when I asked that question, I heard you say that you paid for the merchandise. I'm, yeah. I am almost 52 years old and I am for the first time right now hearing that a band pays for their merchandise. How do I not know that? Yeah. yeah. I do not know that. Uh, you we, were in a band. <laughs> we have to pay out of pocket for all the merch that's there at the table, you know, and it's a big expense up front before we leave. So well, the trick is to try to order only so much that you're going to be able to get rid of it all. On yeah, tour. I guess the shirts and stickers and that kind of custom stuff, I understand, but you're actually buying copies of your records to take too. Yes. Wow. Hmm. I, yeah, no, I, I mean, we get, we get them at a wholesale price from the label, but they, they charge us that. And I guess it kind of makes sense from, from their perspective that they know those products are sold and they can do the accounting for that. And, uh, you know, well, ma- they make our manufacturing costs. They're covering that too. Yeah. So sure. Yeah, of course. Hey, can I, uh, I we have a, a quote here from somebody you probably know. Uh, Vic Stone is listening. Oh, awesome. What's up, Vic? Vic said, Dave, you're a big old nerd and cute as hell. <laughs> <laughs> you Vic are, is, too. Vic is a buddy of mine. I, I, yeah. I, I um, wanted to also mention, I, I heard you say you run a skeleton crew, 
skeleton crew. There you go. Um, I've seen you guys three times. Um, twice I actually shared the stage with you, and all three times it helped you guys load in and, and reload back into your trailer when you played. Two times in Albuquerque and once in Roswell. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, wait, wait. We've never played in Roswell. Roswell or uh, – you played in New Mexico in another city now. It, maybe not be in Roswell. Maybe it was – Farming? Gallup. Gallup. It was Gallup. Gallup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gallup in Albuquerque are the only towns we've played in New Mexico. Yep. And then I uh, then one time in California. Damn, dude, you've been moving around a lot. The merch thing. Well, I was I played in the band too for twenty years, so we we played with you guys. The two of the times we played with you, that's why I and we always made it a especially bands that were touring through our town when we were opening. We were like, these help these guys out. So we always kind of help people load in and load out their equipment. So. That's really cool. I, I kind of do the same thing because I work at venues and I'm so used to just doing that and from touring, so used to loading in and out. So like when I go see some friends play, I'll help them pack up their drums and load up the trailer at the end of the night. Yeah, exactly. It's just a good way to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. Appreciate you. Hey, I have a have one ahead. more question if I could ask right. it. Yeah, go ahead. I know you guys go through bass players like Spinal Tap went through drummers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a little green stain left on the stage, but uh, on this particular record, I think the bass player that played on this record, whose name I've already forgotten, um, really changed your sound quite a bit as composed as opposed to the ones that came before it and after it. W would you agree? Um, I think that. I mean, on literally all of the records, other than the first one, there is some slap bass going on, and I'm a huge funk fan. I listen to a lot of funk and, and bass is really important to me. And yeah, I think we've always had that stuff, but on that record specifically, the, the bass intensity knob got turned up a lot. Mm -hmm. And the bass player on that is Nick Shangelis. He also plays bass in job for a cowboy and Cephalic carnage. Oh, wow. I love both of those bands. Well, speaking of loading in and loading out, I remember when you were, 21 and you are uh, you played a show in houston with primal fear yes and i and i remember <laughs> and i you did it as a three-piece well i i probably remember it better than you but because yeah you, probably you were celebrating uh, quite a bit but uh, so on something like that where you're sure <laughs> where you're sharing the bus um, I mean, what, what do you let those guys help you load in or load out? I don't, I don't really remember uh, how that all worked, but I, I, I was there to see you honestly. And Primal Fear was it was a, was a bonus track, but you had lost your guitar player like right before you got on the bus and played that whole tour as a three piece. Yeah, on that run, we weren't in a bus with Primal Fear. We did share a bus uh, a couple years later with in the English Dogs. But, um, yeah, we were operating as a trio on that tour because uh, our, our guitar player had some issues and, and he bailed on, on day one of tour. So the whole first show of that run was in Denver and we played all the songs with no solos <laughs> other than the ones but, that I already knew how to play. But, so, but, but thank goodness you have riffs because – yeah, right. <laughs> like, you, you couldn't you couldn't really tell because I had two buddies with me and they were like, "These guys are so killer," and I and I knew that there weren't solos and I just went with it and said, "Yeah, they're they're the they're killer thrash band." What can I say? And 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 you held it together. In fact, you even did Rain and Blood. 
that night as a three piece. Yeah, so. I mean, that whole run was um, it was our second tour ever with Pete on drums, and after that first Denver show, we had to go to Kansas City, and it's a long drive to Kansas City, mm-hmm. and. I was in the back, back seat of the van on the bench and I had my headphones in and I was like learning the guitar solos on the, on the way to show number two. So I'm not a lead guitar player. I don't ever consider myself one. I, I, I think I'm pretty good at playing riffs, but lead is not my forte, but I, I figured out decent enough how to play some of those solos on the way to show number two. And, um, you know, I, I was able to <laughs> pull it off. Well, I would you know, you, you, somehow. Yeah, you would have fooled me because I, I, you know, I, I thought I, I thought you're you're more of a more than a capable uh, um, lead player too. But Reese Scruggs is, is an able-bodied replacement for if you and you if you need a lead guitar player, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's a he's a fretboard wizard. Yeah, he's awesome. So is he also a pinball wizard? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that, but he's he definitely got ball? balls. And then Pete Weber, man, that guy is just insane. I mean, like I watched him play the double bass, and, and it's, it's almost like it looks like he's playing effortlessly. He just watches his feet going. It's just effortless yeah. for him. Yeah. Speaking of double bass with Pete, I've n- I've played with a lot of different drummers, and I've never heard Pete mess up his double bass. A lot of drummers will like fall behind, you know, their hands will be going one tempo and the feet will start dragging back and it'll get a little weird. I've never, ever heard that happen with Pete. That's, and I've seen like drummers who play live getting a double bass is great, but you get in a studio with a click track and then suddenly they, they can't keep the time. Sure. Yeah. But, and then Pete's a beast. Yeah. I, I, I picked, I picked Pete and Reese on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that was not an accident. Yeah. No, it's not accidental that they're in the band. We're not fucking around. We've already established this. Right. <laughs> so we have to ask, anytime we get somebody on, it is the most cliche question in the history of music interviews. But please give us the spinal tap moment because we know it's happened. I know everybody knows that I'm going to punt that question out there, but... We know some funny shit has happened, so please enlighten us. The first thing that comes to mind is one time we were playing a show in Tennessee in in a small town there called Clarksville, and in the middle of the show, our bass player at the time, Nick, just like leaves the stage, and there's no bass being played, and all of us are looking at each other like, we kept the song going, but we were all looking at each other like, what the fuck is going on? Where'd he go? And then he came back out. Uh, he, he was still gone for a while. So after the song was over, I had to like bullshit with the crowd. And uh, I told a couple of terrible jokes. And, uh, you know, we were just doing that, just scratching our head. Like, what the fuck happened to Nick? He finally comes back and he like <laughs> grabs my shoulder. He's like, dude, I just had to shit so bad. I was going to shit my pants if I didn't go. <laughs> So we're just standing there playing a song, two guitars and drums, no bass, wondering what the hell's going on. He comes back five minutes later, ten minutes later, whatever. He's like, I had ex- 
severe diarrhea. Like I had to leave the stage. Otherwise it would have been a really big problem. <laughs> Otherwise it would have turned into a Gigi Allen show. Yeah, yes. nobody, yeah. Nobody wants that. Hey, uh, somebody's asking, uh, what are your influences? Like music, music influences, guitarists. Yeah. Or whatever. My musical influences vary so dramatically. It, it's hard to cover all of them in a short amount of time, but like, uh, this guy is one of them. Ludwig right. van Beethoven. I, I love classical music. I, like I said, I love funk. Uh, how, the, the amount of classical composers and funk bands that I like are too numerous to name, but so I'll just go with genres. Um, I obviously love thrash metal. I, I like a lot of death metal. I like punk rock, old hardcore music. Um, I love, I love gypsy jazz. I love old big band, like swing jazz. I love, uh, flamenco classical guitar. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on that, that works its way into our sound. And a lot of people that listen to Havoc and enjoy it probably like funk and probably like jazz and classical music, but they just might not know that they do. <laughs> yeah, my mom, my mother was a classically trained pianist and can also play any double reed instrument or any four string instrument. Damn, and I, awesome. I, I, I grew up on a, a lot of Beethoven, Priestian, La Jolla, Rachmaninoff, you know, and, and it established a, a, a pretty solid musical foundation. But Rob knows I'm going to ask the question, and only because they live up near you right now. Oh, Lord. Osric Tentacles. Have you ever heard of Osric Tentacles? What's the Osric Tentacles. No, I've never heard of them. Uh, he lives up in, uh, they, they live up, uh, Ed Wynn, who's the guitarist and leader, live up in uh, Colorado Springs area, somewhere between Colorado Springs and Denver. They're a British, they're a UK band. You probably really dig them. If you like any kind of psycho frog rock, these guys are phenomenal. Yeah, and dude, I love frog rock. There, there's a lot of bands from the 70s and 80s that play prog, and it, it rubs off on me. It's not overt, but it, it definitely has an impact. Right. Bands like Yes and Gentle Giant and oh, yeah. Soft Machine. There, there's a lot of really Zappa. There's a ton of really cool bands from the 70s. I think the 70s was like the coolest decade for music. Even I agree. Pop acts, even pop bands were fucking cool. Pop music today is horse shit, but in the 70s, <laughs> pop music was pretty good. Yeah. So I want to point out something. We have done 115 episodes, and I think that Carcass has mentioned Osric Tentacles on 114 of them. I <laughs> They're the greatest band in the world, except for Havoc, of course. <laughs> and Oingo Boingo. Well, yeah, and they're pretty close. Okay. They're in the top ten. <laughs> if you would, if I'd have had a list of a hundred bands that you were about to say, I would not have come up with Oingo Boingo. Oh, dude, that's one of my favorite bands ever. Danny Elfman's vocals and his uh, song writing, his compositions are so interesting, and uh, his vocal range is super impressive. The lyrics are good. Um, a lot of them are very sarcastic and tongue in cheek, but the the compositions are phenomenal. Boingo Boingo is one of my favorite bands and definitely one of my biggest songwriting influences. So we've talked about songwriting influences and stuff like that. And one of the guys in the comments asked, 
you, you talked about maybe doing uh, an EP or an album of covers. Who would you consider covering? Would you do something like Oingo Boingo? Or are you going to stay in the thrash vein? Tell us about that. Personally, I would like to do a reimagining of songs that are not metal. I would like to cover things like Oingo Boingo, Ted Nugent, CCR, um, ACDC, Thin Lizzy. Stuff please, like do that. Lizzie and, please do Thin Lizzy and Ted Nugent. <laughs> yes. That would be <laughs> my favorite band. Awesome. But that's what I would like to do. If, if we were going to record a bunch of cover songs, I would not want to do a bunch of shit people would expect us to do. Well, now people are going to expect us to do that kind of stuff. Ah, dang it. We ruined the surprise. <laughs> That's right. Oingo Boingo cover and Osric Pentacle cover. Dead Man's Let's, Party I'm gonna by through, I'm going to scroll through some of the comments and see. I always thought Back in the Saddle by Aerosmith would be a cool song to take and make a thrash song. Oh, yeah. The vocals are perfect for it. Yep, exactly. Okay, so here's randomness. So Vic is, is watching... Why do I know that name? Vindicator. Vindicator Vic. Dude, speaking of rules. I do not know that name. You mastered their, their last album. That's <laughs> it. Dude, uh, Vic is a riff machine. That dude writes Vic some awesome. of the riffs. Oh, Matter of fact, since we're, since we're talking about it, here's, a, here's their new album. Rad. Just I came out. Um, and I'm hoping it's going to come out on vinyl soon too. So we'll see what happens. Okay. And then also they just released the the demolished uh, thrash and demolished uh, CD of all their all their early demos and stuff. That's, That's it. That's it. Thank With you. Some great cover art too, by the way. Live on the air. Somebody that I worked on their music. Yeah, I win. But what was Vic's question? He didn't have a question. I was trying to figure out who he was because I recognized the name. But I'm it's just old, baby. But he oh, says right here. He says right here. He's rad as fuck. So <laughs> it's true. I'm trying to scroll through and see if anybody. If you've got a question for uh, our distinguished guest, Mr. Dave, please post it up in the comments. I'm scrolling through to make sure I didn't miss anything. Well, Vic says I remember Dave calling me while while we were tracking the antique witcheries and asking if I knew any lead players. <laughs> So that was before uh, Reese Scruggs hit me up. Yeah, lots of comments, no questions yet. So yeah. Anyhow, I um, like I'll get you. I'll get you on one. This, I mean, I bought because I, we played with you guys back in two thousand. As ultim know, you were an ultimatum then. When I was an ultimatum, yeah, back in two thousand. I, I can tell you exactly when it was. Uh, two thousand eleven is that's when I kind of found out about you guys because I. We shared the stage with you, and I bought the. I think it was your first album at the time. And now I lost my. There you are. You're back. Um, anyhow, eventually I picked it up when it came out on vinyl. I kind of, I kind of thought this album had a. Uh, and I'm not claiming you're a clone, but I had kind of a testament vibe to it. And yeah, he, 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 influence <laughs> back in the day for sure. Um, early on, when I was a young teenager, I discovered. Well, I, I was already a huge Metallica fan and loved Megadeth and Slayer and Anthrax, but then I got turned on to bands like Testament, Exodus, Overkill, Violence, Forbidden, Uncle Slam, Suicidal Tendencies. 
By the way, Uncle Slam is probably my f- favorite thrash band that nobody knows about. I know about them. I've got the tapes sitting over on the shelf. I Hell love yeah. that band. Kind of crossover sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't tell Mike Muir, but Uncle Slam to me sounds kind of like suicidal, but I like Uncle Slam even better. And that's not a knock on suicidal. I fucking no. love that band, but Uncle yeah. Slam really does it for me. Songwriting is killer, and their riffs are fucking awesome. And I love the way the guy sings. Yeah, he kind of has that punk work ethic in his vocals. Yeah, and I think he's like a, I think he's like a Latin fellow, and and might have rolled with gangs down there in so Southern California. Might might have. Yeah, I've actually seen them live, and they they carry quite a crew with them. When they, yeah, I mean, it's you better get ready to rumble and bring your mouthpiece. Dude, you, you saw Uncle Slim. I, I used to trip out to see I'm old, so I have the benefit of seeing a lot of the old cool bands. But uh back in the late eighties to like the nineties, I would I would at least roadie out to California at least three times a, a year. And it was usually just to hit up uh clubs and uh, and, and just I, I saw amazing, amazing I saw a believer at a at a uh, at the Crystal Cathedral once. I I've seen Mordred, DRI, Attacks, uh, all the, all those types of Uncle Slam, Albatross, uh, Fathom, yeah. It, I mean, the Orange County scene was just like insane back then. Comatose was another band that was really killer. Um, but anyway, and, and I have a yeah, I am old, and I have a my my brother in law now brother in law played in a band called Steel Fury. And uh, they had tripped out to Cali back in, well, it was right when my son was born, so it was 88. So um, anyway, yeah, I've been, I've been checking out that, that whole scene out there in, in, the, in SoCal for a long, long time, especially the OC thrash scene, man. That was really, you know, I didn't hang out at Gazzari's and, and the, cat cl- the cat house at Ricky Rackman's cat house or whatever. <laughs> Every now and then I was forced to uh, attend a, a a Tracy Gunn show or whatever, but no, it was thrash for me all the way. Hey, you be careful when you talk about hair metal, Chief. Hey, I'm I'm being I'm trying to be judicious by the fact that Bang Tango is just not my thing. But um, but you know, Oingo Boingo. See, now that's the weirdness of the, of of how how we like music. I mean, I like weird stuff too. I, we were just talking about it today. So anyway, yeah, I saw Uncle Slam twice. That's rad. I love a lot of weird music. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite bands is Mr. Bungle. Their first album, I bought that when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16, and that record blew my mind into a million pieces. It still does every time I listen to it. There Have, you so many- Have you heard their new one? Yeah, their new, new, new old one. Yeah, yeah it's a recording one? of all their old stuff. Yeah. Yeah, with Scott Ian on it and Dave Lombardo playing drums. It's yeah. it's pretty awesome. But I, like I I prefer the bungle that has horns and is really yeah. weird and has a um, you know genre changes on a dime. Right. That's my that's my favorite bungle. Yeah, then you'd love the Osric Tentacles. Yeah, my brother in law Terry Sullivan says that uh, that they that Steel Fury opened for for DRI once down there, so in SoCal, so. Anyway, fond memories of that whole scene. But, you know, Denver's got kind of a, a speaking of scenes, Denver's got a killer, killer uh, heavy scene. I like got bands like Cloudcatcher and, uh, and um, 
oh, I can't remember the name of that other band, but uh, Cloudcatcher is one that I've actually seen multiple times. But uh, Axe Slayer and... Uh, Axe Slasher. Axe Slasher. So, so who are some of the other speed demons that are up from that area? Uh, well, speaking of speed, there was a band. They're not around anymore, but Speed Wolf. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we interviewed their, their, uh, their bass player. He's in a band uh, called Overdose. New York. Yeah. He was in I, I think I think the singer was in Overdose. I didn't know the bass player was in that band, too. Or maybe it is the singer. Rob? Reed. Yeah, no, Reed. I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually played in a band with Reed way back in the day. This is like right when Havoc first started out. Um, their guitar player couldn't do a tour that they had booked. So they asked me to learn like 18 songs in like 10 days or something. <laughs> and they were like, can you do it? Like, I think so. And that was the first time I ever went on tour. Um, wow. I, I think I was, I think I was 16, maybe 17 years old and, and uh, hit the road for the very first time playing in a filling in for a band called DDC death, destruction, and chaos. Uh-huh. And um, that DDC tour was my introduction to life on the road and, and touring and getting acquainted with that whole gig. But um, I had a really good time, and, and that band was really cool. They were like an awesome thrash punk crossover band from Denver. And Reed from Speed Wolf and Overdose was the singer. Yeah, yeah. Read the cool dude. I saw them open for Lucifer here in Dallas right before COVID happened. They played they right before fantastic. the devil. Yeah, right, right before the devil. Yep. Right <laughs> and she's really cute, yes, by right. the way. Hey, monkey butt, can you put TJ Lewis's question up for uh, Dave, please? The Scoot Inn in Austin. I've been wanting to see Children Bottom since I was 13. What was it like touring with Alexi? RIP. Um, touring with Bottom was awesome. We did the Megadeth run, and they were on that with us. It was Megadeth, Suicidal Tendencies, Children of Bottom, and Havoc. And all of the off days for the Megadeth run, we usually had a show with Children of Bottom. And so we got to know those guys pretty well on that run. They were the first people we met from the tour, cause we had a couple shows with them before we linked up with Megadeth and, um, touring with Alexi, honestly, he was like not drinking. He was not, uh, partying and hanging out with people much. So he was fairly reclusive and we didn't really hang out with him all that much. I think he was having seemed to me, I, I, I can't really speak for him, but it seemed to me like he was trying intentionally to distance himself from other people that were hanging out and having beers and doing shots and stuff because he didn't want to get sucked into that vortex, which is totally fine and respectable. But, uh, we didn't like get to hang out with Alexi Leho that much. He, he largely kept to himself, but he was never an asshole or anything like that. He was always very pleasant and, and kind. And, um, one time we ended a tour in Helsinki, Finland, and played the Tuska Open Air Festival. And they they had me learn their cover of Riders on the Storm. And I got to literally play Alexi Leho's guitar and play guitar in Children of Bodom <laughs> for one song. Wow. And uh, when that tour was over, 
we decided to stay in Helsinki for a few days. So we were cool with the Bodum guys and they were really generous and let us stay in their warehouse where they kept all of their equipment and uh, their cars and some of their stage props and stuff like that. And they let us stay in that spot. It had couches and a couple beds and stuff. So we were just crashing there, but that's where they like recorded their last couple albums and they rehearse in there. But there was like a kitchen, there was a bathroom. It was all good. And uh, one time we needed to go rent a car. We, they threw it like a barbecue for us there. We all like grilled food and hung out. And uh, a lot of the guys were there. Alexi was not there during that time, but I think it was the next day we needed to go rent a car. So Alexi came by and he took me and Nick to the airport in Helsinki to go rent a car. He, he took us there in his uh, like old seventies muscle car. I think it might've been like a Chevy Nova or something or no, no, no. It was a Monte Carlo. He had an old seventies Monte Carlo and he loaded us into his car and he took us to the airport. So that was one of the coolest things that, that I got to do with the guy. We got to hang out in Alexi's Monte Carlo and have him drive us to the airport. (laughs) That's cool. That's very cool. Hey, Gary, I says he's asked this twice. Uh, any blue oyster cult stories he thinks are the greatest American band? Well, Blue Oyster Cult, I actually had dinner with the two guitar, two of the guitar players. I, I had dinner with them. Um, I'm a PV artist, uh, PV amplifiers. I use their stuff, and the Blue Oyster Cult guys are PV artists as well. So the PV people took us, some of the artists, out to dinner one time, and I got to hang out with uh, Buck. I can't remember his last name. Buck Dharma. Buck Dharma. Buck Dharma and uh, fuck, I can't remember the, the other guitar player's name. Eric Bloom. Uh, Eric Bloom. <sighs> Eric Bloom. That wasn't it. Has has Eric Bloom been in it for a, a long time? Yeah, he's yeah. a singer and originally singer. That may be him then, because these dudes are both quite elderly gentlemen, and <laughs> they were around my age, Dave. So be careful. No, no, they're. I don't think they're your age. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Those guys are getting up there. Well, sorry, John. No, that's okay. <laughs> they got uh, beat by a decade at least. You, you think I, I got to eat, Yes. I got okay, to eat dinner, eat sushi with with those guys from Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, I love that band. It's a band I've never gotten to see live that I would love to go see. Um, like, what was it? Lights, Cities of Flame with Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, riff. Super epic. I really love that song, uh, Dominance and Submission. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking cool song. Yep. It, you know, the odd thing is, is it had been since I was in college. So, 81, 82, I saw him at the Salt Palace for the first time. And, uh, and then hadn't seen them since. And then magically, they appear in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, like, what, three times within six months? We, we, saw yeah, them at the gas, we saw them at the Gas Monkey Live, and we saw them at uh, some other – it was just like they were popping up left there. And, in fact, Rob was telling the story that they were at some 4th of July parade thing out in, the, out in McKinney, Texas or something, some weird – Dude, I- 
I saw Blue Oyster Cult for the first time from about 10 feet away play on a park pavilion. I can't imagine what you have to pay to get Blue Oyster Cult to come play on your park pavilion. But they have this thing called Hot Summer Nights and they get uh, they'll usually get a you know a bigger band like that, and then they have some cover bands and different stuff throughout the summer. But yeah, the Blue Oyster Cult man on a park pavilion, it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, I've seen them four times in a couple of years. That was, rules. Yeah, they just they're here all the time now. It seems like. So come on down, Dave. <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult is playing. Uh, let me know. Yeah, Fraser Dawn has asked this question like three times. He wants to know how was Dave Mustaine? Was he cool or was he an a hole? When we were on tour with Megadeth, he was cool as fuck. He often would uh, hand me a bag of marijuana or be like, hey, come into this room. And he'd like give me a bottle of liquor and be like, here, drink some of this and let's smoke weed. <laughs> like, okay. He, he gave me some good advice on that tour. He was always uh, – uh, Megadeth treated us very well on that tour. Uh, we ate like kings. We would often get a free bottle of wine or, or – liquor or whatever you know when when you're packing up to leave the venue often there's a lot of food left over or if the band doesn't drink that much there's a lot of liquor sitting there or whatever there was multiple times where mustaine was like hey we're about to leave and there's like two bottles of tequila in there and we're not going to drink them you guys should take them <laughs> yes sir mr mustaine sir <laughs> <laughs> Hey Rob, you're right. You're you're right. The Buck Dharma and Eric Bloom have me by a decade. They're in yeah. their mid seventies. Yeah. Anyway, you're not that old, buddy. I, I only feel that way sometimes. So, but I, but I remember when Dave was twenty one. Oh yes, I remember part of that. I, I remember. Yeah. In fact, I still got the drum head that you signed. It was pretty cool. That was a did that was did a perfect uh no you barfed in the trash can next to the merch table yeah i remember the show was over and people were leaving and walking out of the venue and i was just like (laughs) the merch booth while people are walking out going like good show dude (laughs) i don't have a drum head but i do have uh the guitar pick you gave me oh nice that's an old one out of print it's pretty abused here. You can't even see the logo on the other side because you were you were playing with it. But mm-hmm. anyhow, awesome. yeah, it was on. Uh, yeah, that was on this this tour. So oh, yeah, do you, do you do you collect music or do you just listen to music and hear music or do you have a collection of odds and ends or? I mean, I've, I've got some vinyl. I've got quite a few CDs. Uh, at some point, I might want to sell some of my CDs, except the prized possessions. I'm your guy. RTC music, baby. I got a couple CDs too. Yeah, yeah, I can can see that. (laughs) We we all have, we all have a little more than we should. But when you, I I bought my first record at age thirteen, and that was fifty years ago. So, what was the record? uh, Black Sabbath, uh, Paranoid, and the the second record I bought was uh, uh, Grand Funk, the Red Album. Then I bought Aerosmith, Get Your Wing. I still have them. You're, you're welcome to come by anytime. We'll go hang out and listen to records upstairs because I love 70s classic rock and uh, amongst the other eclectic things like some of the bands you've mentioned like Zappa and Oingo Boingo and 
so forth. Uncle Devo. Slam. Devo. Yeah, freedom of choice, man. It's what we want. I'm trying to find you on Facebook so I can drive to Denver and get those CDs. I know where I am. I don't got to go in a second, but I'm in storage. I got some of them in a box. Have any of you guys heard this yet? I've heard a, a few songs off of it. I need to listen to the full thing. Yeah. It's, it's pretty heavy. One of the things I, I, I think I dislike about modern music as opposed to when thrash was being recorded in the 80s and then the 90s is the fact that a lot of the it, a lot of it sounds samey. Not not necessarily the writing, but the productions are all like so pristine now. They lack the, the charisma that a lot of the bands had back in the day. Even if it was bad production, it was like like this. This has got doesn't have great production, but I mean the the bad production that kind of added to the appeal, you know. Production varied so much more back in the day. Yeah, and whereas now it's like everybody's got the same guitar tone, that same buzz guitar tone. But anyhow, regardless, I still think this is a fantastic album. But I need to listen to the full thing. Uh, Jack Gibson actually helped us do backup vocals on our last Havoc record. Oh, right on. He, he's on the gang vocals on a lot of those songs. Huh. That's a good bass player. You could tag, have him tag along. Yeah. I was going to say, TJ Lewis is asking, what's your favorite newer thrash band of the, of the last couple of years? Anybody? Favorite did, newer thrash band. Anybody like trip your trigger when you saw me went, wow, that, those guys are killer. Mm. I mean, they're not the last couple of years, but the one that newer band that threw, threw me for a loop when I saw them the first time was Vector. Yeah, I've known those guys. I think they started in the same time that we did. Uh, uh, actually, I played with Vector for the very first time before Havoc ever did its first tour. Um, oh. That tour that I did with DDC, we played on a, a Native American reservation, and Vector also played. And And I remember there was uh, underage drinking and uh, maniacs there and people like basically starting a circle pit in the desert and just kicking up tons of sand. I can still taste the sand. I, I, from, uh, I laugh because I've been there and done that. So <laughs> that would be that would be one of my Spinal Tap stories is playing on the Indian reservations. So <laughs> there, it's yeah. definitely a different different scene than playing in a, in the clubs and playing on those Indian reservations. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we played with Vector though forever ago uh, before Havoc ever toured. I, I, I like Vector a lot. I, I know it's not new, but the the last band that like is immediately coming to my mind. I'm sure I could, I'll think of something later. But Power Trip was oh. one of the last ones where we were in the UK and we were setting up like right after load in. We loaded in. We're unlitting like our amps and you know opening our guitar cases and stuff. And this music is playing on, uh, on the PA just while we're setting up. And I looked at the sound guy. I was like, because cause song after song had cool riffs in it. I was like, this is pretty rad. Who the fuck? Is, who is this? Sound guy, who is this? He's like, oh, it's this band called Power Trip. I'm like, I've never fucking heard of them. And, and I looked him up and, and loved it. It, it must have been right when that first record came out. Because this was me being exposed to them happened way before everybody else caught on. Like I was telling people about Power Trip for the longest time. Obviously, a lot of people know who they are now, but um, that was the last recent-ish band where I remember 
my ears perking up with house music playing. Yeah, they were around for like eight to ten years, and before anybody had really actually heard of them. I mean, they're they're local. They're from Denton and North Dallas. Yeah, and uh, and and they have all those guys have tons and tons of other projects, ANS and Mammoth Grinder and all these things, and uh, and and so they were always busy. But man, to your point, when I when I first heard those riffs, I thought, man, who who in the world is this? This is th there's hope for metal after all. You know what I mean? There's more than one band. This Which guy in Power Trip is also in ANS? Uh, I thought it was the drummer or the guitarist. But okay, yeah, I I don't know, but I I remember ANS from way back in the day. Because I speaking of DDC, they knew those guys and they showed them to me. Yeah, I, in fact, speaking of of ANS, I booked them one time at a at a practice facility called the Alamo down in South uh, South Fort Worth, and Vector was one of our. We had a Vector and and a couple of local bands, Amoraside and some other, and uh, and everyone just ANS started the show because they had to leave and go to school or something. They had classes. So they played right, and they tore our heads off. And the sandwich between Vector and and ANS was everybody else, and and we were completely blown away by ANS and completely blown away by Vector. But you know, what for ten bucks? It was uh, man, it was a wild show. They must have been a hundred people there. A, one light bulb over the stage. It was very very uh, DIY, very uh, basement like. Those shows are the best, man. Yeah. I uh, saw Kill Slug in New Hampshire with one light bulb hanging over the drummer. You couldn't tell what was going on in there. It was just this grindy, nasty, just Kill Slug. Wow. That was crazy. Hey, we're going to wrap it up with one last question, Dave, if you're cool with that. Yeah, what for sure. I don't want to get anybody pregnant, so let's wrap it up. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate that. So, Frazier, one of our longtime uh, listeners, wants to know what band that you want to play with that you haven't played with yet. And by the way, Eric Bloom will be 77 tomorrow. Happy birthday, Eric Bloom. Oh, and I'm by sure the way, right now, TJ Lewis said it's not a member of Power Trip that's in ANS, it's the guitar player of Mammoth Grinder. My bad. Oh, okay. He's an Iron Reagan now, I think. Another cool band. Yes, sir. But anyway. Here's Fraser's question on the screen. This is the, my question. What band would you like to play with you haven't played with yet? <clears throat> that one's easy. Metallica. Oh, wow. We've played with all of the big four except for them. We've toured with Overkill. We've toured with uh, Death Angel, Megadeth, Anthrax. Like We've, we've toured with... Uh, Toxic Holocaust and the English Dogs and all of these bands we've toured with or played festivals with or played shows with, but never played a show with Metallica. Mm. That That's the number one for sure. Well, that would be the one way to get me to a Metallica show is have Havoc open for them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still suffering from the first, the, the look, they, they earned a lot of respect on the first three records, so I, I give them all the credit in the world, but uh, their their more recent stuff is just, I'd rather listen to Havoc, quite frankly, and that's not just because Dave Sanchez is on with us. 
That's the well, truth. I'm going to use that quote uh, that's going to be on our next album cover. <laughs> <laughs> All Bring the respect to Metallica, but I'd rather listen to Havoc. There you go. <laughs> I like it. You can quote me on that every day of the week. It's true. <laughs> that's awesome. Right on. Hey, man, we're going to... We're going to wrap it up, let Monkey Butt go on about his day, but uh, we always wrap up the show. First of all, Dave, I was down in Colorado Springs this summer, and if I had even sniffed a music collection, I would have been on your doorstep in about, what, <laughs> would it have taken me an hour to get up there? I don't know. but uh, Next time you're in town, let me, let me know. Um, I, I can pass you along my email or whatever. Yeah, that would be awesome. But we like to close out the show every time by saying metal will prevail. And we're going to do that now. Um, give us your plugs, though, real quick. Plug your website, podcast, plug all that stuff real quick before we sign off. Yeah, if anybody wants to follow Havoc, just make sure you look it up, H-A-V-O-K, because we went to public schools. So we spelled it wrong. Um, but H-A-V-O-K, you can look it up. Havoc.band is, is our website and all the links to all the social media and the merch store and stuff are there. And I also run a podcast called Riffs or Die. And there's also a web store. So if you have any interest in getting a t-shirt that says Riffs or Die with some skeletons on it, or um, I also sell No Karate in the Pit shirts on there. If, if any of that sounds interesting, go to riffsordie.com. And all my podcast episodes are up there too. Awesome. Cool. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. We know you're a busy man and we very, very much appreciate it. Carcass uh, hit me up and was like, dude, Dave's coming on. He was like a giddy little schoolgirl, man. So Yeah, I'm stoked to do it. Let's do it again yeah. sometime. Uh, uh, yeah, he wanted to get me on forever, but the schedule just never worked. But this time, right. I was the planets have aligned, sir. Let's do it. Yay! Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously, if you come to Dallas, man, let's just blow it up with an interview or hang out or whatever, man. It'd be good to meet you. It sounds good. All right, well, here we go. It's Metal Horns. Metal will prevail. Until next time. For episode 115 of the Metal Roundtable, I am Metal Rob signing off for Carcass John and Scott Raging Waters. And today, Dave from Havoc, thanks again so much. Until next time, Metal. I hope that was fun, lighthearted, and informative for you. I don't normally do episodes like this, but I figured it was a good idea that way we could all take a breather from the harsh realities of the world that we're living in today. Like I said, in the next episode, we'll dive into some of that stuff and I will give you all an update on the things that I'm seeing going on and what I think about some of those things. Don't forget to go to riftsordie.com, pick up some merch if you want to support the show. You can also go to patreon.com slash riftsordie and subscribe to become a patron you will have access at the $10 level or higher to join me for the Zoom hangouts that we do every month. So if you want to hang out with me in real time, come on down. Go to Patreon and sign up. And don't forget to shoot me an email, any questions or comments for the show, podcast at riffsordie.com. Looking forward to talking to you all next week. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's dig into it then. Until then, go listen to some Oingo Boingo. My favorite record from them is called Only a Lad. It's their first album. Oingo Boingo, Only a Lad. That's my musical recommendation for this week. 
I think I've listed this one as a recommendation before, but I don't care. It's just that good. One of my favorite records ever. Ever. So give that a listen. And I will talk to you all very, very soon. Shoot me an email, podcast at riffsordie.com. I look forward to reading them. Talk to you soon, riffers. Adios. Adios.